in a video nasty. I wouldn't. I have far too much. How, how can you judge on a video nasty? Oh, have you never seen one? I actually don't need to see visually what I know is in that film. Hello there, and welcome to the Video Nasties podcast. My name's Christopher Brown. Regardless of some of the extremes of the nasty PlayStation films, it's I Spit on Your Grave that will always be the focus point for people's unease at sex and violence in film from the nasty scare. A deliberately horrible experience, the film's first half focuses on three gang rape scenes that stretch to about 25 minutes of the film's running time. And then the victim's revenge fills the rest. The movie earns a special place by being named as a mitigating circumstance during a rape case. At the height of the furore, then the film fed the Daily Mail front page headline on the June 28th, 1983, Fury over the Video Rapist. Take off your clothes. I don't like women giving me orders. I spit on your grave. What you are about to see did happen. I spit on your grave. This woman will soon cut, chop, break, and burn five men beyond recognition. And there isn't a jury in this country that will convict her. I'll give you something to remember for the rest of your life. I spit on your grave. Relax. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll make you feel like you've never felt before. God bless your hands. Wait till you feel this. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. No, no, not I spit on your grave. <laughs> scared you, didn't I? What do you want? It's you I want.
story follows Jennifer, played by Camille Keaton, who's a relative of Buster Keaton. She's a writer who's working on a new novel that heads out of town into the country to finish it. She rents a riverside cabin in upstate New York to work on this book. And while doing that, attracts the attention of a number of rowdy male locals who are a mixture of intimidated, angered and aroused by her presence. They capture Jennifer one day and strip her naked for a simple local called Matthew, who's played by Richard Pace in his own acting role, to rape her. Just when she thinks she's gotten away, she's attacked and raped twice more, and her book is destroyed. She recovers from her ordeal, and then goes out for violent revenge, and uh, maims and kills those that have wronged her. Uh, oh yeah, you got great hands. Oh, God bless your hands. He's a very touchy boy, this Matthew. He's very sensitive. We had a little fight with him yesterday. Scared the shit out of him. <laughs> ah, he'll come back. He'll never come back. Yeah, he will. He'll cool off. He's cooling off all right. At the bottom of a river. What, do you think he committed suicide or something? No, I killed him. <laughs> no, you didn't. Yes, I did. I choked him to death with a rope. Come on, you did not. I did. <laughs> oh, you've got one fantastic sense of humor. Written and directed by Miyazaki, uh, the film was produced extreme reaction since its inception. When the film was first released in 1978, the original title was Day of the Woman, and it poorly, it was very poorly received at the box office. In 81, the distributor Jerry Gross renamed it I Spit on Your Grave after a 1959 French drama and re-released it. Under the title, the film received a great deal of publicity and became a key target of uh, the critics Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel's campaign against violence in, of, in, against women in film. Ebert's review of the film from July 16th, 1980 was such a brutal attack on the filmmakers, on the movie and on the audience who would go and see it that it actually fueled the film's publicity. He wrote, A vile bag of garbage named I Spit on Your Grave is playing at Chicago theatres this week. It's a movie so sick reprehensible and contemptible that I can hardly believe it's playing in respectable theatres such as Plitz United Artists. But it is. Attending it was one of the most depressing experiences of my life. This is a film without a shred of artistic distinction. It lacks even simple craftsmanship. There is no possible motive for exhibiting it other than the totally cynical hope that it might make money. And perhaps it will make money. When I saw it at 11.20am on Monday, the theatre contained a larger crowd than usual. It was not just a large crowd, it was a profoundly disturbing one. I do not often attribute motives to audience members, nor do I try to read their minds. The people who were sitting around me on Monday morning made it easy for me to know what they were thinking. They talked out loud, and if they were seriously believed the things they were saying, they were vicarious sex criminals.
Now, I'd like to play you a little clip. This is from a special that was recorded in September 18th, 1980 for Siskel and Ebert's show. Now, normally they just re- re- review the latest releases, but they dedicated an entire episode it described extreme violence directed at women. This was um, effectively their response to the uh, slasher um, explosion in cinema. And they were deeply concerned about the fact that women were the victims in the films. Uh, they talk mainly about slasher movies, but it does at one point uh, they go into I Spit on Your Grave and they use an example of the kinds of uh, audience that that kind of film would attract. I feel like an undercover spy in the dark. <laughs> I went to see I Spit on Your Grave and I was sitting next to a fairly nicely dressed middle-aged man, maybe in his 50s or 60s, who was talking back to the screen with lines like, boy, she's really asking for it now, or, you know, there's a rape scene coming up, this will be a good one, and so forth. This guy is, to my way of thinking, a vicarious sex criminal. He has very antisocial attitudes. I felt creepy sitting there. Not all of the guys, uh, I went and saw the picture too, and I saw a lot of couples on dates. And that gets me worried about another thing. I know a lot of people are wondering, well, you know, people are going to see this film and imitate the behavior. Some people may. I don't know. But the majority of middle-class people are going to see these films. That's why they're such big hits. And I worry then about this idea, which is that when you view women constantly as sport, being stabbed, I think that's a sort of a sick notion that just sort of makes it it's degrading. It's unsurprising, then, that Zaki has had to defend the movie many times. He says that he was inspired to make the film after helping a young woman who'd been raped in New York. He says that how he, a friend, and his daughter were driving by a park when they witnessed a young woman crawling out the bushes, bloodied and naked. He later learned that the woman had actually taken a shortcut through the park, which was quite common, um, to visit her boyfriend's house when she was attacked. They picked up the traumatised girl and returned to the daughter's home and quickly decided it was best to take the girl to the police rather than the hospital in case the attackers were going to attack more people. Zaki describes the police officer that came and contacted him to be not fit to wear the uniform and he'd regretted immediately when seeing him that he just hadn't just taken her to hospital. The policeman insisted on formalities such as spelling her name despite the fact that she had a broken jaw. Zaki insisted the officer take her to the hostel and he eventually complied. The director believed his film to be pro-feminist due to its empowering ending and the way she emasculates her attackers. Now, there has been reappraisal of the film along those lines. And Carol Glover's um, book, Men, Women and Chainsaws from 1992, says that the film demands that the audience sympathise with Jennifer and not the attackers. And the attacks on on those men in the second half is designed to be cathartic to the audience. Sounds like a fucking virgin. He is. Yeah, but he's not going to stay one for long. We're going to fix him up with a broad. Hey, Matthew, what do you say? You're interrupting my concentration. A broad, Matthew, a broad. Broads don't turn him on. Yes, they do, but not all broads. Only the special ones. Well, what's a special broad, Matthew? Miss Hill. Miss Hill's special. Who the fuck is this on Miss Hill? It means I'm broad from New York. Aw, oh, you got a peek at her tits and already she's special. She's special. She also gave me a dollar for a tip. 
New York broads are all loaded, Matthew. Yeah, they fuck around a lot. Now, one day I'm gonna go to New York and fuck all the broads there. Yeah. I'm gonna do the same in California. Why California? Sunset Strip is just swamped. Chicks looking to get laid. Zaki's career was limited after the film. Um, he directed and produced and wrote Don't Mess With My Sister from 1985, which is uh, another kind of exploitation film. And uh, from there, he uh, co-produced the remake to I Spit On Your Grave and in 2000, uh, and the, uh, 2013, uh, I Spit On Your Grave 2 as well, which is a sequel to the remake. The film was made on quite a low budget. It was $650,000, which is kind of why it looks so rough and ready, really. The house where the rape takes place was owned by, in real life by uh, Zaki's friend, uh, Nori Hayri, uh, who was also director of photography on the film. Uh, Zaki visited his colleague when he was developing the script and was influenced by its location. All the actors had to perform their own stunts as the production couldn't afford any stunt people. Camille Keaton wore her own wardrobe and had really no... I mean, there's questions about how she, she, she managed with the film, but she had no real problems with the amount of nudity involved. The biggest issues were you know, running around and walking barefoot through the woods and being attacked by mosquitoes, uh, leading to having to be taken to hospitals to be looked after because she'd been bitten so much. Um, it wasn't the easiest shoot, perhaps unsurprising, considering how grim a lot of the footage was. One of the production crew quit during the film of the second rape scene as he couldn't stomach it, and a makeup artist had felt they had to quit because uh, she herself had been raped and couldn't relive the horror of her attacks. Uh, Camille Keaton is probably best known for this film. Uh, they married her and the director's arc, he married uh, after filming, and they divorced in 1982. Uh, she's kind of worked on and off from, well, 1972 really, when she appeared as a small part in... Uh, what Have You Done to Solange, which is a giallo. Her last role was a small role in Rob Zombie's film The Lords of Salem from uh, 2012. Um, as I said, I've already mentioned there's been um, two remakes. Uh, one in 2010, which was, uh, you know, um, which was, you know, quite posh and high level, and the, it led to a sequel to that remake. Uh, also as well there was kind of an unofficial sequel uh, Savage Vengeance which was so poorly put together the actual name of the film was spelt wrong in the title card uh, it's short as well at 65 minutes uh, apparently uh, Camille Keaton actually walked off set at one point um, there was an, an unofficial remake called Naked Vengeance in uh, 1985 um, it's kind of you know, in in the same way, uh, Mardi Gras Massacre is like a kind of unofficial remake to Blood Feast. It's more influenced by the themes of the film rather than anything else. In the UK, the film was a catalyst for the video's chords and gap to come into place. On the 27th of June, 1983, 18-year-old Martin Austin was sentenced to six months youth custody after being found guilty of rape, burglary and theft. In his defence... Austin claimed that he'd got the idea for the rape from watching I Spit on Your Grave. And controversially, Judge Tudor Price agreed that Austin's mind had been inflamed by the film. This launched the Daily Mail's campaign to ban the sadist videos. They'd already touched on it before and written stories about it, but this kind of increased momentum. 
On June 28, 1983, Linda Lee Potter wrote a piece called Switch Off the Nasties, which said that the unemployed teenagers were being damaged by the films on the list and that there was a need for censorship. And if there wasn't, there'd be more violence on the streets. It was a mantra the Daily Mail continued until the legislation was passed. Indeed, it led to a trend when films were used as an excuse for crimes in the courts in the hopes for a reduced sentence. Let me read you that, um, that Linda Lee Potter piece uh, to give you an idea of the kind of hysteria that the, uh, the level that was already being generated these, from these films in terms of what they could do to society. Switch off the nasties. 18-year-old emotionally immature Martin Austin was a habitual glue sniffer with seven convictions for burglary and theft. He lived off an unremitting diet of horror videos which he watched relentlessly during his out-of-work days. Inflamed by scenes of sex and violence, he brutally raped two women. The video's boom has meant that thousands of -of out-of-work, unstable teenagers are currently gorging themselves day in, day out on scenes of torture and depravity. The impact that this sick, beastly, money-making corruption is having on illiterate minds is going to make previous anxieties about violence on television look like worries about the impact of Enid Blyton. We need censorship at the moment, as we have never needed it before. And if video censorship of the most stringent kind isn't brought in pretty damn quick, we're going to have an upsurge of violence and terror and abuse in our land and homes, the like of which we have never suspected in our wildest terror. She lies like a fucking mannequin, you bitch! You want her total submission? You got it! Hey, shut up! Okay, stand Give me this a second! Okay, okay, hey! Hey, come on! Come on! Okay, enough! Let's go! Okay, Released in January 1982 under the Wizard label, and then labelled Astra, Astra were UK distributors for US-based Wizard, the video was listed as a video nasty in July 1983. It stayed on the list throughout the panic and therefore one of the collectible DPP-39s. Now, International Trading Limited UK gained a UK video certificate in 2001 after 7 minutes and 2 seconds of cuts to the rape scenes. In 2003, they reframed a pre-cut version which was submitted and ended up being cut by the same amount anyway. Um, it's, a, it's a, not the easiest to watch because the camera kind of slows down and kind of pans out the way and you kind of get this grainy shot as it tries to uh, get around obviously what, what the Canon can't show on screen. Um, now, uh, 101 films released a DVD Blu-ray version and that was released in September 2010 and the number of cuts have been released to 2 minutes and 54 seconds. Uh, there are various uncut versions of the movie available on Blue and DVD, especially uh, the 2011 Anchor Bay version is probably the best one for that. So, I mean, that's 
Before we finish and go into the feedback, and I've got some great feedback coming for you, let's have a little think about this and a little chat. At its heart, we have to accept two things, I think. One is this concept that art can somehow corrupt you. If you if you don't believe that to be true, then I spit in your grave cannot corrupt and inflame, as the uh, as the judge said, uh, a young impressionable mind. It might make them give them some ideas, but it certainly wouldn't uh, damage them to that extent. If you take that at its core then effectively a lot of the cuts that are still being made to sexual violence aren't legitimate. And not just that, I think it's quite interesting. Is the sexual violence in there, in I Spit On Your Grave, designed to titillate? I mean, I would argue not. It's so brutal and so horrible and it goes on for ages. I mean, the nearest thing I could think of really is the, the rape scene in Irreversible where it's all in one shot and it just goes on and on and on and it's really horrible and puts you in a terrible place so from that point of view why is it still cut well maybe the notoriety of the film maybe that's a statement of intent but I do find it worrying as a society that we consider a film like I Spit in Your Grave would ever be considered to be titillating and also I find it upsetting as a society that we feel that any kind of art can actually damage minds in such a way. It's not something that happens anywhere else in Western Europe, certainly not to the extent that we do. And, and again, the Americans are quite conservative, but they would never, they don't cut this film and they don't, and they wouldn't. So I always kind of, I'm not going to put this quite problematic and quite troubling and and, an unpleasant movie is a talisman for what we should and shouldn't screen but I would say that this film does ask questions about how we still to this day censor Matthew over here I hate you I hate you what have I done to you Matthew you brought nothing but bad luck with you Bad luck! I have no friends now because of you! Why, Matthew? Why because of me? I was chosen to kill you, and I did it! You will this time, Matthew. You will. Just relax. I'm sorry I have to do this. I'm also sorry for what I did to you with them. It wasn't my idea. I have no friends in town. I thought we were friends. Remember? You asked me? You're here only for the summer. What am I to do the rest of the year? I could have given you a summer to remember for the rest of your life. Right. Feedback and lots of it. Um, Let's start with uh, Neil. Neil Tidbury who is a very kindly sent in an email. Ahoy hoy, Chris. Been uh, meaning to drop some feedback for a few of the films you've covered recently, so before we get to the meat of the matter, may I indulge in a quick catch-up. 
Revenge of the Bogeyman. How you managed to talk for as long as you did about this one was pretty impressive and ultimately forgettable film. House on the Edge of the Park, a nasty grubby little film and little to recommend it outside its notoriety. Zombie Flesh Eaters. We watched this recently and was quite surprised at how slow it feels. A few standout set pieces aside, it has now slid further down my favorite, my list of favorite full sheet. Don't look in the basement. Never seen, never likely to. House by the Cemetery. Another recent rewatch, and this is more like it. it. Made me laugh that this is the most structurally cohesive of the Gates of Hell films. It still makes very little sense, but a lot of fun nonetheless. Fucking bomb. And so, so I spit in your grave. A film I avoided for a long time, as a subject matter is not something I'm drawn to. And when I did finally watch it, it made me feel very uncomfortable. And not just because of the penisectomy, but because every frame of the film feels like it is daring you to keep watching. Years later I managed to re-watch, and I must say, none of its power was diminished. But I did what I did discover is that under the surface under the surface, it's actually a bold film. One that makes you question. Not just what you're watching, but how you are left feeling at the end. Do you feel glad four despicable rapists are dead? Indeed, should you feel glad? A tough, uncompromising film that is clearly not at all, and despite my reservations, one I would recommend to the right people. P.S. Its pseudo-sequels are shot on video shit, its remake was surprisingly good, and the remake sequel is a big old bag of cynical, quick book-making exploitation garbage. That makes, <laughs> but that manages to give the original a worse name. Keep up the sterling work and cheers. Neil in Brighton, and his Twitter is at tids71. Cheers, Neil. Thank you for that. Oh, so much to talk about. Um, Revenge. I was listening back to my Revenge of the Bogeyman, and I repeat myself quite a lot in that podcast. I didn't think I did. Um, yeah, I, it's not. I mean, it's not great, is it? But I, I, I quite. I always, it, it, I find it frustrating because I do generally think that he is trying to say something, but I'm not even convinced even he knew what he was trying to say. That's by the edge of the park. I mean, fair enough. Um, it is a shock and mood film, and you know, it grubby's right. It does feel grubby. It feels grubby like the way Nightmare on a Damaged Grain feels grubby, but you know, to, to a worse extent, it's you know, such a focus on rape is, is and, and not in a, a good way is you know, not, not in a. Not in a, it, it definitely wants to horrify you with rape, but sometimes some of the scenes, you know, it kind of darts into obviously soft core areas, and that ain't great. Zombie Flesh Eaters, yeah, it is slow, it is slow, but I think you know it is a landmark film, and I understand that. I, interestingly enough, I, I, when, I think I, I, I've been recently listening to some podcasts about Dawn of the Dead, which is my favourite film ever, and uh, people talking about that movie like it was, um, you know, saying it is really slow. It's they were surprised at how slow it was. And I make I luxurious in that that slowness, but uh, I think people are you know those kind of, those films are surprisingly slow these days when you can not just compare it to how modern cinema is, because obviously we're used to, to quite slow moving stuff with the way TV works now. But I think um, yeah, I mean the you know scenes of people talking, there are a lot of those in Zombie Flesh Eaters, and um, yeah, I can understand why why you'd think that. Uh, don't look in the basement. It's all right. It's not bad. It's kind of you know it kind of fits in with like axe and stuff like that. It's that kind of feel to it. It's not a bad movie. I mean you know it's free. <laughs> it only takes seventy five minutes. I would I would recommend you watch it if you want to. And House by Cemetery is one of my favourite Fulci films. So <laughs> so yes, it's 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 a great movie. Um, I spent your grave. 
yeah, I mean, it is uncompromising. And I didn't mention it before, but you're, I think you're right that it, it kind of... The, the thing about it is, like a lot of rape-revenge films, like, indeed, um, Last House on the Left, you're not meant to feel... It's cathartic when the violence happens, but you're not meant to feel great about it. You know, it's, it's merely a, another mechanism making you feel quite bad about everything that's happening and such violence is tragic and the way she uses sexuality to kind of get what she wants at the end is is you know not not great and quite upsetting so yeah thanks very much for that and some feedback from uh, rob wilson as well he says i want to say more about this film but work and the mundane aspects of my life haven't given me a chance quick thoughts i live near chicago Film critics Robert Ebert and Gene Siskel had a local show, like syndicator, called Sneak Previews. I still remember the extreme anger over I Spit on Your Grave. Roger called then very popular DJ Steve Dahl's radio show to tell his audience what garbage this movie was. This had a lasting effect on me. I assumed this was 100% shit. About three years ago, I saw it on DVD for $3 and picked it up. Since 1980, I've watched a lot of really bad movies. I don't consider this to be one of them. I did find the rape scene to be ghastly. In fact, I admitted to fast-forwarding. Don't tell anyone. But I kind of like the rest of the movie. It's an ultra-simple revenge flick. Perhaps if I saw this in 1980, I would have felt different. Sorry, Chris, I could not get through Revenge of the Bogeyman. The original shit. I tried to be a good sport and watch Revenge. I was home alone and screaming out loud twice. I was going insane. And then noticed I hit the 15-minute mark. Yuck. Sometimes I think about you seeing these films more than once and I start to cry. Don't know how you do it, Rob. Oh, well, cheers, Rob. Um, I'm fine. I'm not depraved or corrupted or anything. Uh, and I have a high tolerance to uh, to, to, to bad cinema. So uh, I quite enjoy it a lot of the time. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, revenge, I didn't find Revenge that bad. Maybe just me. I know everyone hates it. And I know, obviously, the the, the list is, you know, the, on the list. I mean, it just so much of it's from the first film. But, yeah, uh, it's it's a crap slasher movie, you know. And there are a lot of crap slasher movies on this on this list. But, you know, we'll live. It's all good. Uh, thanks very much. And it's interesting, I think, you know, uh, that obviously, you know, your man Ebert had, uh, has obviously, you know, did his job there, hadn't he? He's stopped you from, from, from seeking it out earlier. I wouldn't say it's... I mean, the point, I mean, you know, as I was saying before, really, I, I do think the point is it's meant to be ghastly and it's meant to be horrible. It's meant to make you really hate what's happening, and it might be too much. But and I do think people kind of get upset when they see films that they feel are like you know almost like an assault on them. And I think that's probably Ebert's kind of thing. You know, how could you possibly like this film? There must be something wrong with you, kind of thing. But you know, it has an effect and it has a power. And yeah, it's a grubby exploitation film. But again, there's definitely something going on there. That is more than that. And anything that makes you feel terrible and horrible, you know, it's doing something right. If you're repulsed by rape, then it, it you know, it, it's obviously conveying the meaning that it needs to in quite a grim way, in quite a powerful way. But anyway, thanks very much for that, Rob. And I uh, look forward to, to hearing your, your views on the f- other films as they come up as well. And the same for Neil, actually. That sounds terrible. Um, one last bit of feedback. This is audio feedback. This is from uh, Tom Elliott, who uh, I started listening to when he ran the uh, the Gentleman's Grind House, and I think one of the episodes actually covers this film and has a, a longer version of his on his views on it if, if, if they're up on iTunes. And um, also, um, 
he used to run the Twilight Zone podcast, um, which is over on when I was doing Night Gallery podcast, he was doing the Twilight Zone one. Now it's been taken over by Luke Owen now, and I've been chatting to him, and he's kind of looking at other things to do at present. But uh, this is Tom's feedback, and uh, it's really interesting actually, just to see from a from a from a fan point of view, and also those UK releases and uh, how he sees them. Hi Chris, this is Tom, formerly of the Twilight Zone podcast and currently doing absolutely nothing at all. Um, I just thought I'd send you some feedback on I Spit on Your Grave. You know, it is a bit of a landmark. I've always meant to kind of chime in a bit more on the Video Nasties podcast because I, I listen to it all the time. Sometimes I get to watch the movies, sometimes I don't, but I always listen because I, I think it's a great show. Um but, you know, this is a bit of a landmark. It's quite infamous and, uh, you know, it deserves some discussion. So I'll just put a few random thoughts on. Not particularly well formed, so I apologise if I just ramble a bit. But um, it's not a film that I, I kind of watched growing up like a lot of the nasties that I know and I'm fond of. This kind of just passed me by Part of that, I think, was that I didn't particularly want to see it. I think, you know, I'm a bit of a blood and guts kind of guy. I like the kind of down and dirty horror movies. I like the the more visceral stuff. But rape and sexual violence, that's a, that's a thing unto itself. And it's something that I don't particularly seek out. Um, so, you know, this was so famous for that. It was kind of like, well... I don't really want to see it. But then, uh, a, f- a couple of years back now, two or three years, I'm not exactly sure when, but um, a company called 101 Films brought out a Blu-ray edition in the UK. And I got sent a review copy because I was uh, then reviewing films for Geek Planet Online. Now, it's funny because that was when Arrow Video were kind of really starting to come into their own with all these great kind of releases of these films that we've all loved for so long and they were getting the, the attention they deserve and the um, the additions they deserve and they they had a very signature look, the white packaging with a, a window in the front so you could flip your Blu-ray or DVD around and get a choice of uh, covers that you can use and then they had a kind of blue line going across the top. I think 101 Films were very much trying to get in on a bit of Arrow action because on its surface it looks like an Arrow video release, you know, with with the way they've done the packaging, but it's not. Um, But it's the kind of film that Arrow probably would have happily put out if they'd had the chance, I suppose. But it's not a bad addition. It it came with, um, you know, a bit of criticism because there's a few um, shoddy kind of things on it because at the end of the day it's still cut in the UK Uh, it's not completely uncut because I think uh, the the oral rape of the main character is still cut and possibly some other things I don't know I can't remember it's been a while but when they put this edition together it comes with a director's commentary and the commentary still plays at normal speed even though the film is cut, so it would be fine on a US uncut release, but on a UK release, the commentary cuts out too soon. So there's that, but, you know, overall, it's it's not a bad addition, I think. it's It's got a good interview with the director, Miyazaki, that I, I think ca- 
Callum Waddell did, um, and he's you know responsible for all those great features, a lot of those great features on the Arrow stuff. So, you know, it, it's a good addition, maybe a bit rough around the edges in some ways. And if you're looking for an uncut edition, then it's not for you. But anyway, to the film. Um, so I finally watched it, and to my surprise, I liked it a lot. You know, people who detract from such films as this will always uh, cite that people will revel in that sexual violence and obviously for me that was really not the case I I did find it quite harrowing you know Camille Keaton is just heartbreaking in this film she's you know incredibly beautiful lovely looking girl I think she gives a great performance but when you see her just crawling through the woods after what she's been through it, it is heartbreaking but on the other side I do love a good revenge film. I like to see someone pick themselves up and dust themselves off and exact their revenge. You know, things like Vigilante, Death Wish. It's, you know, I love that kind of stuff. So I Spit on Your Grave is very much in that mould. So I think for that reason, maybe I got what Miyazaki wanted us to uh, experience. You know, I did feel that the opening half, the half where she goes through this horrible ordeal, is an ordeal for the for the viewer. But then I really felt, you know, she got her, her revenge and I enjoyed seeing her do that. Obviously, she has to go on and then live the rest of her life with the, the scars from this. And that's perhaps the, the overall tragedy of the whole thing. Um, but if there's, if there's a misstep, I think it's the character of Matthew... You know, he he's the kind of village idiot. He gets brought into all this. I can't remember the exact detail. I haven't rewatched it for the purpose of doing this feedback, as you probably realise. Um, so I can't quite remember exactly his participation. Boy, he definitely participates in the rape. And, you know, he gets kind of put upon and teased by everyone else and goaded into certain things and so on. His, the the inclusion of this sort of uh, character who has obviously got some mental disability is not particularly what I um, what I object to. I just think the way it's played is a bit too broad for the subject matter. You know, he's kind of like out of a zany eighties comedy or something. The way he's played, um, and it doesn't quite fit. It, it kind of makes bit of a mockery of the whole thing so I don't quite agree with his inclusion in that way um, but overall I like the film I don't feel that it revels in the rape as such when I'm done with the movie I kind of feel that it's uh, you know she does walk out of it standing tall and um, triumphant but like I say unfortunately there's no real winners in something like this but it's a, I think it's a good movie and I don't revisit it often, but now I've spoke about it, I will probably revisit it again soon. So anyway, keep up the good work, Chris. I, uh, you know, love the podcast and the, and the work you do. So hopefully I will speak to you again before you uh, come to the end of your run. Cheers, mate. Bye. 
cheers for that, Tom. I think um, actually the first version I watched was a cut version. It was that seven, seven and a half minute version. I hadn't seen the video and I watched the DVD. And uh, yeah, it was, oh man, it was, it was, it was not like, I mean, it, you know, that, that, it's a really hard watch. <laughs> and then the camera kind of like dives into a corner and it's really grainy because the reframing doesn't work. And obviously it's really like, really poor quality film stock anyway made it I don't know if it made it more a worse experience or just a really like kind of jolts you out the, the, the cinema uh, the Voon experience just to say but uh, yeah I mean those um, the, the extras on those films are really good I think commentary's crap but the uh, they've got some really good stuff on the extras if I remember rightly um, certainly stuff that's worth watching and put it in context as well with the video nasty stuff um, quite well uh, in terms of you know people reacting to this film which supposedly corrupted a, a, a troubled young man to the extent that he committed rape now I mean that's a controversial idea in the first place but uh, yeah um, yeah. well I've, I've said my feelings on that but uh, yeah I mean it, so that stuff and putting it in that kind of context really interesting stuff I found and it, it, they are good releases Righto, um, that's brilliant. Thanks all very much for all the feedback. I thought we'd get a fair bit with that one because it kind of it's a film that really sticks with you and kind of has a real touch and, and you know it, it it its influence is a lot greater I think on the video nasties landscape than a lot of the films that we talk about that we just kind of got bundled in the mix because you know whatever it's called or you know it's a uh, yeah, fucking we've still got human experiments to go. Um, so, you know, I mean, that, that kind of thing, you know, where it's very difficult to kind of, uh, talk about with, without kind of pointing out that's like, it's not much to it really, you know? Anyway, uh, next week is, uh, The Mountain of the Cannibal God, which fe- features, uh, Ursula Andress. A very, very naked Ursula Andress. In fact, that was what it was sold on back in the day. Um, so. Oh, well. Yes. If you've got any feelings on that, any opinions on that, if you want to leave contact, please do. Uh, my email address is videonastiespodcast at gmail.com. The website, videonastiespodcast.com. Or you can get me on uh, my Twitter, which is at orange underscore monkey. Uh, thanks very much. We've got lots of retweets and stuff recently, but uh, a big hello to uh, Mark Winkleman, who is at Emperor Ketchup who has uh, been chatting to me about his films that he loves, um, Island of Death, which is coming up soon. And also, uh, you know, he's just got into it and he, he recommended it to, to one of the groups on Facebook that's uh, quite influential. So thanks very much for that, Mark. Uh, that's really great. So, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, next week, as I said, we've got uh, Mountain of the Cannibal God. Uh, so until then, take care and I will speak to you soon. Goodbye. seen a video nasty i wouldn't i have far too much how, how can you judge on video nasty? Oh, you've never seen one i actually don't need to see visually what i know is in that film
And frankly, we worried about whether additional publicity for these movies might simply help them out at the box office. We sure hope not. 